0: John Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Hello everyone. We live in an unprecedented time. As many of you know, I live in New York, the state with the most positive coronavirus cases in America. In my lifetime, I have never seen a disease spread like this all around the world. This pandemic is taking lives every day, even if most of us who get it probably will recover in a week or two. However, there are many people who are at risk and who are vulnerable because of underlying health issues or because of their age. And so we have a great concern about the spread for these situations. We've seen hoarding and panic, but... Neither of these is fitting for Christ followers in this time. And I'm really thankful that we are not without guidance on how to behave in these times. For we have the scriptures, the example of Jesus, and the historical record of those who went through much worse plagues than COVID-19. From all of this, I have come to see that we have been in training for this moment all our Christian lives. We have learned the priorities of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We have learned to pray, to read scripture, to repent of our sins, to live out the fruit of the Spirit, and we have learned that through Christ, God has decisively defeated death, leaving behind an empty tomb and a rock-solid hope in his return to resurrect the saints. This hope is not wishy-washy or nebulous, but is the anchor of our souls, a concrete expectation that when Messiah comes, he will make everything wrong with the world right, including this pandemic. I take great comfort in that. However, our unbelieving friends, neighbors, coworkers, acquaintances, and family members do not have the example of Jesus. They do not have a hope to anchor them through the storms of life. They have only the news, their instincts for self-preservation, and uncertainty of the future. Now, is our time to let our light shine before people so that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Now is our time to be salt, the seasoning that grabs attention rather than just going with the flow. Now is our time to share the good news with people who are asking the big questions like, what happens when I die? Or what's the meaning of life? Or why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Or is there a God? This is your chance to practice cross-shaped love, self-sacrificial generosity, and heroic kindness. Many of us have been thinking about the Bible and Christianity and our faith for so long, and, and maybe at times have longed for opportunities to stand out. Well, this is that time for us to stand out, to be different, to minister to those and serve those around us. Although I thought about interrupting this evangelism class, honestly, I can't think of a better topic for your consideration today than this evangelism session with Joshua Anderson. You'll learn how to diagnose people's spiritual condition based on five thresholds that they typically cross on their way to becoming a Christian, as well as how to handle objections. These are critical skills for you to have in this very time. This approach that he shares will relieve the pressure from you of thinking you have to convert someone in just one conversation, and it will provide guidance to know what to do to help them along to the next threshold. Now, I did want to mention that in this episode, Anderson seems to equate the kingdom of God with the church. Although these two are obviously close ideas, theologically, strictly speaking, the kingdom arrives at the second coming. We are the citizens of the kingdom who preach the gospel of the kingdom while living out the kingdom ethics in anticipation of the arrival of the kingdom. And there's no question that Jesus is already crowned king, and he's inaugurated his kingdom in seed form, especially among his people where he reigns. But we await his return for the consummation when the meek will inherit the earth and God will heal our world. So I just wanted to make that point that the kingdom is still primarily future. Anyhow, here now is episode 319, How to Get Better at Evangelism with Joshua Anderson.
1: So you got these people, you're meeting people, you're bringing them in, you're having celebrations, you're doing community. Now what you want to do is sort of diagnose where they are. Where they are. And so Doug Everett and Don Everett and Doug Schell, when I was in Fuller, these guys came and like, Introduced himself to us and gave us his book called I Once Was Lost. You can turn with me to page three on your notes. These guys were Intervarsity Fellowship. You ever heard of them? They're like they do college ministry a lot. So these guys had done it for 40 years. And they have seen literally hundreds and hundreds of college students come to faith in Christ. Just hundreds of them. And they've seen it happen over a pretty dramatic shift in our culture over the last 40 years, wouldn't you say? So they watched a lot of the changes that had happened on college campuses over time. But even through all those changes, right? Even with the now, like postmodernism, or what are we, postmodernism, or whatever, even in all of that, they've seen a consistency in the phases that pre Christians go on their way to Christ. And they said, it's sort of like these five thresholds. You know, like the threshold that you cross when you go over a door. They said, non-Christians have to cross over these five on their way. And it's very predictable. Over hundreds and hundreds of cases, you see the same ones. And here's what they are. The first is moving from distrust to trust. The second, from being complacent to being curious. Third, from being closed to change to being open to change. Fourth, from meandering around to seeking. And then fifth, actually crossing the threshold into the kingdom. So I tried to like, the (laughs) the only acronym I could think of, maybe you guys could think of a better one, is Tiosk. It sounds kind of like kiosk, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So they need to trust a Christian. They need to become interested or curious. They need to become open to change. They need to start actively seeking and then enter the kingdom. What does this look like? Well, first of all, trusting a Christian. The first threshold they need to cross. Guys, they're not going to come and fully submit their life to the Lord Christ if they don't even trust one single Christian of his followers. Why am I going to follow your boss and dedicate my entire life and soul into his hands well, I don't even trust even single one of his followers, you guys. When they think of the words Christian, and there was a book about a while back called UnChristian, if you remember it, that talks about all the negative stereotypes and associations that non-believers have about believers in their mind. So when they're thinking of Christian, they're thinking of all the stuff that we're trying to avoid being like looked at, right? They think you know you're probably homophobic, bigoted, racist, mean maybe gun-toting, whatever. All these sort of stereotypes that they're thinking about it. And so the first step of when you meet someone and you're bringing them into community and developing this relationship is you need to ask, do they even know a single Christian that they trust and love and respect? Because maybe you're the first one. (sighs) Maybe you're the first Christian they have ever met who they actually have a positive encounter with. Billy Graham was doing his crusades for like years and years and years, and they started doing a poll, you know, when people who would come down to make a decision for Christ, and they asked them like, on average, uh, or they figured out on average that people had had twelve positive interactions in their life with Christians that they can remember. You know, maybe it started first with, I remember Grandma was a Christian, and I remember I had this Christian friend in college. They seem like a good person or whatever. And and then I saw this one thing. And so they had, you know, because they asked them like one to two, three to whatever, whatever. And people on average would say they had previously these interactions in their life. And guys, you don't know where the heck you are in that line. You could be the first Christian that they're ever beginning to trust. You could be somewhere in between. Maybe you have a great interaction and a relationship with them and they move on away somewhere else. And you don't know where their story is going to end. But if the threshold that they're stuck at is the first one, Then your game plan when you're meeting with them should be how can I just love this person? (laughs) How can I just show them kindness and love and respect and gentleness? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, if you want to read it with me, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 1, he said, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Paul's still in here with the Corinthians. He says, or do we need some of you, some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? Paul said, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you are shown that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of of human hearts. That's what we need to be doing with our non-Christian friends. Writing on tablets of human hearts that letter of recommendation based on your experience with them of building trust. Second threshold. After, okay, I trust a Christian. I have some Christian friends and I respect them now. It's not like they're a, a, a stereotype in my head. Uh, they're that great guy Sean that I know. I trust him. But that doesn't mean they give a crap about Christianity or you or faith or anything. So the second threshold they have to cross is becoming curious about what you believe. Becoming curious and interested in all the stuff you guys think. It's not what they think. It's interested about your beliefs. They may ask questions at this point, but you can tell that the questions aren't really from a place of wanting to seek and know and learn and grow and self-apply, whatever, it's, it's more like a theoretical questions about the ideas out there that you guys think. You know what I mean? It's more just curiosity. So a lot of times people get stuck there. They're like, How, what can I do? What can I do? Well, you know that old phrase, like you, can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? And then what's the response? But you can put salt in his food. you can put a bunch of salt in his food and make him really thirsty so I'll challenge you how can you be putting salt in non-christian's food what can you do right how can you make them curious well you can ask them questions like what do you you think happens when we die you think this is it or whatever now they're becoming curious like what what does he think What's the difference here? Well there's different world views and you know you're striking up interest. So ask them lots of questions. Or Jeff Vanderselt, he has this funny thing where he talks about he came to Japan and was teaching us some stuff, and he talked about how he would just drop things out in the conversation and just leave it. He would just drop it, and just leave it there for them to have curiosity. So he had friends that would say like, "Yeah, man, aren't you worried about the economy or whatever back then it was this really? bad and all these jobs and whatever laying off and he would just say, no nah, man, I'm not worried about it because I have a super rich dad. <laughs> and just leave it. <laughs> and then and they'd pick it up, you know, and become curious. Like, well, what do you mean? A super rich dad. Oh yeah. My dad owns the entirety of all the world. All the universe. It all belongs to him, man. <laughs> right? And then of course he's, oh, he's talking about God, you realize. Or they would say things like because they are enough involved in his life. They're having people over for dinner. They're developing some relationships. They get to see a little bit of their marriage, and his neighbors ask him, like, man, you guys don't seem to fight a lot. Or you guys seem to be pretty well-suited for each other. made some comment. And he just say, yeah, oh, yeah, we learned the secret to have an absolute best positive marriage. Like, we learned the secret. But then he won't tell them what it is, and he just moves on. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, now they're thinking, like, this guy talking about it? They found the secret? What could it be? Instilling curiosity into their minds, right? You have to figure out ways how you can solve their oats to get them becoming curious. Okay, but just because they're curious doesn't mean they've crossed the next threshold that they're actually opening to change. That they're open for this to actually be for me. To the second threshold, they're sitting there questioning about your beliefs, but it's just like a theoretical mind exercise. They're not actually thinking that, you know, I could do this. I could believe this. Because their hearts are still closed to change. This threshold is the absolute hardest. This is the one that I said earlier is raising the dead. (laughs) Right? Just as hard. This is the one where fervent and saying prayer is the key. Because we love people like our friend Mike, who he came to our fellowship for five years. Years and years. And, and he uh, comes from a Buddhist family, uh, an Asian family. And yeah, Mike would come to all our meetings. He would come to week long camps. He would, Mike would sometimes remind us, Guys, aren't we going to pray before we eat? You know? <laughs> but he's like completely involved all these years, but he, he was stuck at this threshold. So I finally pressed it on him. I said, buddy, you've been coming for so long. What is holding you back from actually making Jesus Lord in your your heart, basically? Why? What's holding you back? And he finally told me, he was like, it's my family, man. They'll they'll completely all disown me. They will disown me 100% if I become a Christian. So he was like, can't I just keep coming and kind of make it private or something and not have to do that? I told him, dude, Jesus won't be that sort of Lord, man. <laughs> He—I'm not saying be unwise or force it or push it, but I'm saying you have to decide: is he Lord, or is your family Lord? And I believe Jesus said something about this, <laughs> didn't he? And unfortunately, Mike ended up walking away. Walking away. But you know what, Jesus? And you start reading the Gospels and stuff. Jesus is just not desperate, guys. He's not sitting there desperately hoping for these followers to please him. He's like, right, and he looks to his own disciples, like, "Are you guys gonna leave too?" <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> and then the crowd starts seeing. This is weird. What he's talking about. And so Jesus starts saying more. No, you also have to drink my flesh, or you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He turns it up. He's not desperately in need trying to get a bunch of followers. I believe sometimes there are cases where you have to ask people if they want to leave and let them leave. That's hard. That's hard. And this stage is the absolute hardest. This is where, like again, prayer, intense and fervent fasting prayer is the only thing that I know. I wish I had some more keys to give you to help move the people for the human heart to become open to actually changing. But I believe choice is an element. And if choice is an actual element of this and free will means anything, then that means I can't get my little hands in there and make it happen. That's by definition what it means. They have to do it. So, say they do. And we've all walked with people that have. They cross the next threshold. At first, they've trusted Christians. Then they become curious and interested in the things you guys believe. But then, lo and behold, they do the work in their heart, and they're open to the fact that, you know, maybe I could be a Christian. Maybe this could be for me, for real. They're open. What, what's the next threshold? Then they begin actively seeking, actively seeking. Now they're questioning again. But this time the questions are different, right? They're not just theoretical questions. They're asking like, so, so what about this verse? And they're asking because I want to know. Because they're fitting the pieces together. This is the time like when my, my wife, she was up with me until like 3 in the morning talking on the phone, asking me about Bible questions when she first became a Christian. She's, it's just this beautiful and sweet honeymoon period if you ever walked with somebody through this, right? They're just on fire. They're questioning everything they're thinking. They're reading the Bible for themselves now. Not because you were reading it to them. They actually started reading it and brought to you some question, and you're surprised. (laughs) They're actively seeking, and Jesus taught us, right? If you seek, you will find. This is the safest, safest place anyone can be. Because if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened 100% you will find him. That is a promise. If they genuinely, with an open heart, seek, they will find him. What father of you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? Of course he will. And the last threshold, after they're seeking, is actually entering into the kingdom itself. Actually making that decision. Actually believing in their heart that Jesus is Lord. Confessing with their mouth. He was raised from the dead. Entering the kingdom. A decision. And this part is sort of where faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin at this point. Because, like, if the Titanic is sinking, right... And the lifeboats all come. If you're going to trust yourself and throw yourself on the light bulb, the lifeboats, you have to let go of the sinking like guardrails, right? Like Titanic's going down, and you're going down with it, and you have to let go of that to grab onto this. So the letting go is the repentance, right? And grabbing on is faith, trusting. This is the last and the final threshold. So, um, how does this help? why am i telling you these five thresholds in this dynamic that you see this arc that people tend to go through you yourself would probably watch people journey through this right Um, the reason i'm telling you is because now you have a tool in your toolkit for the people that you're meeting and the people that you know you're able like a skilled doctor to be able to look and through prayer and discernment to try to figure out like where is this person stuck where are they stuck at? Is it way back in number one that, look, my goal here is just to get them to trust a single Christian. Because you don't have to get up in one single conversation and hit a home run. It's like Greg Cookle says, just hit a single, just do one. <laughs> just get to first base, right? Or just take a swing, for crying out loud. Just do something. You don't have to hit a home run. Just get them at the spot where they are. So what you can do then is diagnose where they're stuck, and then now you know how to pray for them. And now you know how to tailor your responses to them. Because my goal right here is just only maybe curiosity. I'm stirring up curiosity in this person. I'm trying to move them past just trusting me. we got this relationship now. I'm trying to get them to become more interested in things of faith. Or, or I know where they are. They're stuck at the open to change, and I'm praying for them like crazy, and we got people praying and fasting and whatever, you see, you now know how, yeah, how to pray and where people are. And it gives you a framework now that relieves the pressure off of you to just do it all. Like, if all you're thinking is fifth threshold, kingdom, 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 decision, 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 make it all the way, all the way, all the way, then you're going to get frustrated, you're going to be tired, you're going to feel too big and too much. But now if you know, oh, I know where this person kind of is, and I'm kind of sensing and discerning, and I know what to do, I know how to pray, I know how to be. I think it'll really help. We can take a break, and then we'll take maybe a longer break, because the reason I gave this to you this is completely optional. There's grace and freedom. So if you just want to take a break and not even think about anything, that's fine. But this is a tool for you to be able to think about people in your life that you actually know and what phase are they in. And then what's one small action? The smallest action. It should be like literally texting them. <laughs> you know, or, or whatever. But one tangible action that you can make to help them. And see, in Japan, what we did is we put a list of all, we were like getting crazy with it. We got a list of a network of every single person that we had just met. And we had them all up on this board, and then we had them organized in terms of, do they have one contact with a Christian? Do they now, have they met our friends? And now they have two contracts. They know multiple Christians now, because in Japan, it's 0.1% population. They probably don't know any Christians. Um, So, okay, they know multiple Christians. Have they been invited to something? Or not invited yet? Okay, they've been invited, but they haven't came. Okay, have they been invited and they came yet? And we would mark that. If they came, were we able to discern what threshold they're stuck at? And we would write the threshold that they are. And then, have they been invited into any sort of uh, further event? Have they been invited to start studying the Bible? And we would invite people in Japan. It makes a little more sense because people want to practice English. You just straight up ask them, like, you want to study the Bible together? And people are like, sure. (laughs) Where in America, it's a little different context, but we, that's what we would do. We'd say, have they been invited to personal Bible study? one on one Bible study yet. If so, have they, been, have they made a confession of faith or not? Have they been baptized or not? Have they been whatever? And so we would have a literal piece of paper written out of the friends. And this actually helps. It's a little weird and creepy, so don't let anybody see it. <laughs> Definitely don't let your non-Christian friends find this if you're writing down people's names and, or family members' names or whatever. Um, so please don't do that. <laughs> But it's a tool to help you pray and to see it all out on paper because more manageable and it helps you realize like, oh, I can do something here about all these people in my life. So let's go ahead and break and uh, if you want to have that tool, spend a little bit of time on it as well.
0: So. At this point in the class, we took a break and we looked at the five thresholds worksheet which is number one, trusting a Christian, number two, becoming curious, number three, becoming open to change, number four, actively seeking, number five, entering the kingdom and number six, life in the kingdom or entering the church and life in the church. You can get this worksheet uh, in in the show notes for this episode. I'll put a link to it. It's just a little PDF that Anderson made that can really help you track where people are at and know really what small action or prayer that you can do when you encounter this person to help them along on their journey. So if you would like to just pause the recording here and and go fill that out, you can do that. I'm gonna go ahead and play out the rest of this session and we'll get right back to Anderson here.
1: Did anybody during the break time, anybody look at the worksheet at all? Yeah. Yeah? I'll just ask in general, how was it? It was good. Yeah? Yeah. Was it a helpful framework at all? Is this a good tool for you guys? Yes.
2: Everyday living, and so I kind of looked at them as in that uh, you know that trusting Christian. I didn't know quite where to put them because they really need a lot of love and care and mm. help to move into these these places. They they understand God, they earthly but they don't.
1: Yeah. So with the trusting Christian part, I would just ask myself. Does this person, when I'm thinking about them and holding them in prayer before God, I'd say, Does this person have any Christians in their life that they know, uh, whom they, I think, I, I could think that they would respect? And if the answer is yes, then at least they pass test number one. <laughs> they pass at least the first threshold of they have trusted a Christian. Now, there are, and I know you have a counseling backgrounds, so you know, you could talk to us so much better about this, but uh, the trusting a Christian part just because that you know that you do have friends who you do trust as a Christian doesn't mean you haven't also had serious burn pain relate, you know issues right. Uh, maybe also they have some very serious bitterness and hurt, you know, to the mild degree of just resentment to the extreme degree of you know of uh, serious trauma, right? And we could think of really awful examples, right? You know, even the stuff we've all heard too about God as our Father, and then, well, if their father figure walked away, or there was sexual abuse or something, there could be trouble of projecting onto God those sort of issues. So the trusting a Christian isn't just, you know, so thank you for bringing this up. It's not just do they know one Christian. It's also are they getting hung up on trust issues, Uh, or are they getting stuck on thinking that you people are judging them. And so, you can help them with that grace bit we talked about earlier to help work them on the trust. Anything you're doing, working with trust and grace, that's kind of that first phase that you're doing, you're working with them. Yeah, what about the language route? Was any of that stirring up? Would anyone like to share what they think their language route would be if they were to have one?
2: Well, I have to say, um, for, I remember hearing a while, back, and I tried to attribute it, to that every area is a mission field. So you don't have to go away to be a missionary. You don't have to. so in that point because now my work is I work a lot of hours, and so I try to with God's help make that my mission field. And so I've done something like that where I where some people think I'm networking. They, I'm saying no. I really want to show them that I appreciate them. You know, so whoever, whatever department I reach out, I will. I will try to know who I'm reaching out to. I know that person. And to the point where they will say, whenever I see your emails, I open yours up quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. And it, and, but um, some people will think it's, oh, you're trying to network. And when I actually know, I think that's, and I'll say, that's what God wants me to do, is to love yeah. people. So, Very good. so for that, I, I appreciate it, because I think that's how I can intentionally now mm-hmm what I'm doing yes. um, and to do that. So I appreciate yeah. that because it has to go beyond. But I keep doing the same thing, but I have to grow yes. another step. And again,
1: um, for anyone in that situation, I would say the first easiest, simplest next step would be to just let these people know I'm Christian. Right. In some way, a natural way, not the like weird way, right? <laughs> not like in a total Jesus juke out of nowhere, out of the blue. But in a natural way, and you can also pray for the opportunity. And God, you watch. Just sit back and watch God open a blaring door for you as you pray and ask him to please give you an open door to just only mention the fact that I go to church, I'm the sort of person that goes to church, or I'm, I, I'm a Christian and it means something to me. That's the very next tangible step because now people are associating all oh, this fruit as that. Then the third step after you have relationship, after you know them is the seeing as, seeing that. And you can finally connect that, those two for them. But that's usually going to happen once they're in community, you know, and they're around it more and stuff further down the stream. Yeah, and again, just becoming intentional in this way, it's a a mode of beginning to live your life differently. And I hope that's coming through today. Evangelism is not going to be some super technique, you know, system of like, well, we do door-to-door and we do tracks and we do, God bless them but we do this, or we're going to go over to this far country and do that. If you're going to do evangelism, it's got to be a mode of life for you. It's going to have to be a switching your framework of how you're thinking and being in the world in this way and becoming like sort of a a lifestyle in that sense. If it's going to be effective and natural and and powerful and spirit-filled like that. So as you're doing that and becoming intentional and praying, guess what you find? You find, surely the Lord has been in this place, right? He's gone before me. The Holy Spirit already opened this door just insanely. And all I had to do was just like easily walk right through it because, uh, you know, the door was open. Because you made yourself available, you were being intentional, and you prayed, prayer. You asked God to do that, and then you realized, oh my God, he was already here, paving and blowing the door wide open for me to have this conversation. And it felt natural. When God does it, it feels smooth, doesn't it? Because he's really good at it he just sets it right up so you pray in that way and sit back and watch um okay well, let's move on to the last bits here um for this part and this is so again thinking you've got your language root you're living a new lifestyle you're being intentional inviting people you're being intentional about celebrating together outside of the church Then uh, you're also intentional of of cross-pollinating with other people, other Christians who are living the same way, and you're being intentional in bringing them to the church as well. So you're building relationships, you're actually speaking words about Jesus, and you're bringing them into the community. While you're meeting all these people, you're gauging, like, where are they on the thresholds, where are they stuck, and you're praying and you're working on that with them. And then what you're going to need last as you're doing all that is what I call listening up. Like, listen up, right? But listening up. <laughs> it's like, what I want you to do is as you're talking to people and meeting with them, you begin to listen, develop the habit of listening to the Lord while you're talking. Particularly listening for longing, listening for pain, listening for any unmet needs. And listening for anything that you would say in your heart, I know, I know, I know the answer, I know the answer. It's Jesus. <laughs> you're, but what do you do? Do you jump in there and say that? <laughs> right? No. <laughs> what you do is you immediately, as you're listening, and you're immediately wanting to jump right on there and jump in there and solve it and fix it, what you do is you stop and you slow down. And you immediately start to pray, Lord Jesus, please help me slow down. Please help me to listen. So you take this conversation and ask him, help me to listen, Lord. And then as they're talking, you remember that you're not the Savior. You're, you're not the one who's, You have no pressure to be their Savior and to fix it. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. And he will be the one, remember, he's zealous. He will do it. He has the compassion on the crowds. So the pressure's off of you. So you have to fix it. Instead, what you're doing now is you're praying, Lord Jesus, help me to hear, help me to listen, help me to be present with them. And to really hear underneath, they're saying this, but underneath that presenting problem is really this longing, is this need, is this fear, is pain. And in listening that, when the time's right, you pray for the opportunity to be able to share something, As you offer your presence with them to be able to share and specifically when you do i suggest you tie it into that gospel narrative that they're living so be listening for okay what's their creation narrative here under this story what are they saying is their sense of purpose or identity that's being threatened how's it being threatened what's the fall what's the problem under that what are they looking to that they're thinking is going to be their savior here That's not working for them because idolatry doesn't work. (laughs) It ends up getting them more and more into bondage, right? And so you're listening and trying to discern through the Spirit where the idols are there. And then you pray for the opportunity to be able to point it out and bring them to the Lord and connect that need with Jesus. Yeah, an example can be well, you know, I gave the example earlier about the gentleman I talked to a few years back who lost his job, right? And every one of us in those sort of problems, they're thinking that what I really need is this job. But that's not what they really need. What they really need is the job that will never end. And they need to be, heard, to be told, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what they're really longing for, but they don't know it. They don't have the words and the framework for those, those longings. Yeah, so that's what we can call out and, uh, and help connect it for them. Now, as you're listening, then, and you're doing that, that is the, that's the opening the door for those gospel presentations in a way that's going to be more natural and more caring. And by the way, they're going to feel like you're like, more like Aaron. who's going to feel like, this person cares about me. You know, It's not just pulling a Jesus juke, like, bashing me with the Bible or something. Um, they actually think, they're actually thinking that this is, is helping me. And so maybe that's a little bit that helps them become open to change, to applying the gospel to their, what their need is. Okay, but what about, for the last thing, that's when it works well. What about when you're listening and it goes really hard <laughs> or it goes bad? What about when it becomes combative? What about when, like we said earlier, what happens if you know, I don't know how to answer their question? What if they start launching into this big like debate about evolution and, and the problem of evil and uh, they start asking all these questions about really technical bits of things and I actually just don't know? What do we do in those cases? Well, ideally you would have already read hundred books and become <laughs> expert in apologetics and you already have the answer. But a lot of times we don't, right? We don't have the answer. Or this particular objection is the first thing we've ever heard it or, or maybe we don't know. So you have, you know, two options in that case. You can either, A, just kind of fake it, pull something out of your butt and it's going to sound really bad and they're going to know, right? Or, B, you can do what I'll teach you now. I got this from Greg Kokel. Has anybody heard his ministry? Jerry and I were talking about it. I'd commend his book to you called Tactics. And, He gives a list of a bunch of different tactics of having a conversation with people that are navigating difficult conversations, basically, as a Christian. Uh, And in there, he gives this first primary tactic, which he calls the Columbo tactic. for what do you do when listening gets hard? Anybody remember Lieutenant Columbo? Right? What does he do? He asks a bunch of questions. (laughs) Yeah. But he specifically walks in, you know, sort of like kind of like a bumbling idiot, Right? He's a little bit confused, and he's like, wait, let me, I'm confused. You know, let me get this straight. So uh, you're saying, you know, so he looks like a harmless, just innocent dude, but he's asking all these questions, and what ends up happening? So. Yeah, he solves the case. Like, he fix it. He figures it out, right? Well, here's the Columbo tactic is by the use of skilled questions, being able to get yourself out of the hot seat in that moment. Get yourself all the pressure to let it off and, frankly, to put it back on them <laughs> so that they're feeling it now. And you're feeling safe. Um, and it ends up being uh, persuasive. So how does it work? Well, first, so say you're talking to somebody and they start bringing up all these, all these objections and saying, I don't believe in God. God doesn't exist. Whatever, there's no God. Blah, 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 blah. Well, the first thing you ask is, The first question goes like, what do you mean by that? Okay, you just said that you think God doesn't exist. What do you mean by God? What do you mean? What kind of God do you think doesn't exist? Probably I'll tell you what's going to happen. Whatever God they describe next is going to be a God you also do not believe in. Right? Uh, They're going to describe some really awful, sky-fairy, cruel, mean, whatever, version of some God that's not going to be the one you even believe in anyway. So when they say, I don't think God exists, and then now you launch into saying, yes, he does, what they hear is, that version does? The whole conversation's messed up from the start anyway. So the first thing you do when they start spouting it all off is you say, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean, God? Or when you're saying God, like, what do you mean? What kind of God? Or even, what do you mean God doesn't exist? Because there was a very, very interesting poll uh, that said, I don't remember the exact number, it was over 50%. I believe it was like over 60% of atheists who self-identify as an atheist, and you ask them, do you really not think any God exists? Like over 60% will say, okay, yeah, I believe in a higher power. And then 90% of those people that did will say, I'm absolutely certain there's a higher power that exists that's very interesting this person just sat here and told you that i'm an atheist i don't believe in god and just by saying well what do you mean by that like really over half of them it turns out they do believe in some sort of a god that's very fascinating what would have happened if you just launched into your crushing atheists We just shut them down right or you would have made them feel like oh okay, I better batten up the hatches. I better fight back. I better hunker down in my position and then double down on it and fight back even harder. You just made your job even worse. But what happens instead when you take the posture of the Columbo tactic and you say, oh, what do you mean? What happens now psychologically? They feel like you care. They feel, oh, this person's actually interested. And don't just trick them with that. You have to actually be interested, okay? Don't lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so they think, you know, uh, this, the pressure, all the pressure's off you. Because you're not making any claims right now. They're the one that gets to talk. You give the mic right back to them, and what you do is you switch into information-gaining mode. I'm listening to what you're saying, because I don't want to respond to a bunch of straw men that's not actually the things that you really believe. And it's not the problems that you're actually hung up on. I want to listen for what it is specifically that you're stuck at. So that I gather my information and when I do talk, I will now be tactical and strategic. Instead of just launching in there. So you gain information. You gain information. Second question. After you ask them, okay, well, you have your objection. What do you mean by that? You listen, you gather the information. So after they tell you, well, what I mean is that, um, you know, I don't think God exists at all. I, don't, I think that there's no higher power at all. And the God, no, God does exist. He's that guy. The second question you ask is, well, what reason do you have to think that's true? Why do, oh, really? Why do you think that's actually true? Or why, why that? See, what you're doing in this step, the second question, is now you have shifted the burden of proof back to where it belongs, onto them because they're the one making the claim here. They're the one saying what they think and believe about God, so they need to be the one who can give some sort of a reason for thinking that that's actually true. And when you ask them to give you one, very, very often it, is, it can be the first time in their life that they ever actually had to think about it. Well, why, why do I believe that? Or do I even believe that? Or am I just sloganeering? Because they just heard somewhere, yeah, all Christians are hypocrites and whatever. Oh, really? What do you mean by hypocrites? Well, I mean, just like every single Christian, they just think that, but they live live bad or whatever. Oh, why do you think that? What reason do you have for thinking that's true? Well, do I have a reason or do I just heard that and I just kind of repeated it a bunch? Now they have to actually be thinking about it, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, so the third step, after they say why, they give you their reason why, third question is, well, is that really a good reason? Does that really prove, you know, that there's no God or... You ask a specific question, because you remember you were gaining information in step one, right, and listening to what they actually said. You heard their reason, though they think it's true. Now you ask a strategic question that sort of pokes a hole in their reasoning, but pokes a hole in their reasoning with a question. Again, you're always putting it on them and yourself out of the hot seat. They're the one talking. Just give them a bunch of rope to hang themselves with in the third question. You see? They say, I believe all Christians are hypocrites. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, they don't, don't really do anything good, blah, blah, blah. They just do this. Well, why do you think that's true? Oh, because, you know, I met this one person that did. Okay, well, is meeting one person really a good sample size? What do you think about Mother Teresa? Or whatever. So now they're having to be in the position where, oh, gosh, I've got to think about what I believe and think about my position here. And uh, I have to maybe reorganize and re- consider whether or not my reasons are actually good or not. You know, and the whole time you're being polite, you're being kind, you're being interested in them, you're actually taking seriously the things that they have to say and their opinion, you're not bashing them, you're like, hmm, okay, on the last bit, and then maybe you can share some of your opinion, I don't know, or whatever. But it's very more peaceful. And I think this tool can be really helpful For you in the cases when you're wanting to maintain a relationship and you're not wanting to be in the, like we read earlier, about quarreling and useless arguments and those sorts of things, and you're wanting to be able to gently teach and instruct, having this sort of tool with you of the three questions, what do you mean by that? What reason do you have that's true, to think that's true? And uh, is that really a good reason to think it's true? Those three will seriously serve you. I think in the times we were listening, you get the hard questions. So thank you for listening.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. We've got uh, one more, uh, which is a panel discussion with Josh Anderson, Jerry Weirwell, and myself. Uh, So we'll, we'll look for that next week. But for this week, I'm interested in hearing your stories. Have any of you seen opportunities to testify about your faith or open doors to speak to folks in this crazy time of pandemic, whether in person or online? How have you been dealing with it? Come on to restitudio.org and find episode 319 and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you on this. Also, check out our Restitudio Facebook group for more conversation. Lastly, I wanted to mention that over at the Unitarian Christian Alliance, we have begun a new outreach initiative in making short cartoon explainer videos on YouTube. So far, we have three amazing videos done thanks to the hard work of Brandon Duke and others, including What is the UCA, Who was the First Trinitarian, and... Trinity, Confusion to Clarity. Head on over to the UCA YouTube channel by searching Unitarian Christian Alliance. Sadly, if you search UCA, it doesn't work. Uh, But yeah, if you type in Unitarian Christian Alliance, you'll be able to find and watch these videos, as well as subscribe. As it is right now, at least, we're looking at putting out one new video each week. We'll see how long we can do that for. Basically, these short cartoons are there for you. They're for you to share on social media, and through email with people to help raise awareness and plant seeds of doubt about the Trinity idea. Essentially, our goal is to challenge people to think biblically about God and Jesus. Well, that's it for this week. If you'd like to support Restitudio, you can donate at Restitudio.org. I'll catch you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.